Behind every farm, winemaker, bottle, and grape lies an untold story. This is Behind the Bottle, a monthly podcast by Cape Classics, a South African and French wine importer founded in 1992. We are committed to discovering and sharing these tales. I am Mary Ellen Phillips, and in today's episode, we are here with Carl van der Meerbeer, winemaker at De Morganson in Stellenbosch, South Africa. Thank you for joining us today, Carl. So you've studied wine from all over the world. Tell me about De Morganson's property. What makes you want to wake up and go to work in the morning? Well, I think if I look back on, on the properties that I've visited around the world and the areas that have really uh, intrigued me and inspired me, they're generally areas that have very well-researched terroirs, areas that um, are very excited about their patch of dirt and producing wines that are really represent an area the word terroir is sometimes so overused, but people that love their space, that um, look after their vineyards, really understand their soils and produce wines that are, are unique and represent an area and represent a, a house or a domain. Joining De Morgan's Zone was an opportunity to achieve this in that it was a relatively, what is a relatively small vineyard. It's about 50 hectares or 100 acres of vines on a 180 acre property. It's backed by a really dynamic owner, Wendy Applebaum, that's prepared to invest in the winery, prepared to invest in her staff, prepared to invest in the right way of farming and to really do things as, as best as one possibly can. So when we bought the estate in 2003, it was a relatively untested entity. There weren't great wines being produced in the area. Certainly some of our neighbors had produced great wines, but... Wendy took a drive up to the top of the hill and had a look at the view from the top of the mountain over the valley and was really inspired by what what, what is probably one of the greatest views in Stellenbosch. And based on that, I think it was an emotional decision for them to buy the property. Uh, one or two of the neighbors had produced some really good wines, particularly with Chardonnay, and that might have been a slight motivating factor. And the property at the time was very run down. And the story began of removing all the vineyards and planting really the best planting material one could find. And they planted a bunch of different varieties. And over the years, we refined that as we figured out what really works. Particularly Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay were established in on the property in relatively, relatively high volumes, considering the total mix of plantings. In a way, it was a stroke of genius in that those two varieties have done really, really well. Together with Syrah, Syrah was also planted as one of the main red varieties, and that's also shown to do really, really well. And it was—it all happened at a time when South African wine was really being exposed on the international stage and coming forth as as a as a, as a very exciting region with a lot of investment, a lot of creativity, a lot of motivated young winemaking talent. And it dovetailed into a time in my life when I was looking to settle at a property and really get my teeth into something really special for me and my personality i've always wanted to make wines that i can stand behind and speak of with authority so leading in to answer your question why is de morgan special and why does de morgan's on really appeal to me i think it's given me that opportunity uh, without being held back to really produce wines that i believe are unique and really represent de morgan's on and we've seen over the last five or six years that we've been producing really awesome Chenin Blanc, well, really awesome Chardonnay. Our, our great Chenins go back to 2005. We see a consistency and an intensity and an integrity in the wines that is, is really great. That gives me a great sense of achievement to look back on that and to see that consistency. 
And what's your winemaking philosophy, so to speak? So I think if one sums it up really in as short a words as possible, it would be to interfere as little as possible, but as much as necessary. I trained at university. I have a scientific approach to how I do things. But I also believe that if one can be as natural as possible and to do as little as possible, you will, you will ultimately produce the most interesting wine. And there's an array of technology av- available in winemaking. And I think the higher the production scale and the larger the production volume of the product, the more technology applies to what you're making. The higher the price point and the smaller the volume and the more unique the product, the less technology applies. And I think the more winemaking skill applies to what you're doing and really a true understanding of what you're working with. And then also following into the vineyards, you know, what is our approach to, to viticulture? You know, we're not certified biodynamic, we're not certified organic, but we're also not 100% conventional. So we, we do a lot of things that are very soft in terms of the way that we, that we farm. So we use different types of cover crops to control or, or effect different changes in our soils. So we'll use certain mustard cover crops to inhibit the growth of nematodes in some of our soils. We'll use high carbon level cover crops to increase carbon level in some soil types. We use lupins in some vineyards as a cover crop to increase natural nitrogen levels. We use biological pest control wherever possible. But at the end of the day, you know, I need to guarantee that my fruit arrives in the winery in a healthy condition and that I can produce wines that really are made from healthy fruit, not, not unhealthy fruit. And I think that's the most important. And then also to consider the environmental and ecological impact of everything that we use and what we do. And that's, some, that's a thought process that we put into absolutely every process. What is the environmental impact? What is the ecological impact? And for example, we have a massive compost production facility on De Morganzon, so there's really no organic material that is wasted on the property. So all organic material, whether the organic material be coming out of the winery or out of our gardens, is composted. We do supplement that with some bought-in stable and uh, stable manure from a number of suppliers, and we produce about you know, seven hundred to a thousand tons of compost a year, which goes into back into our gardens and back into certain vineyards. So it's a, yeah, it's a combination of farming. It's farming with nature and trying to ultimately add as little as possible uh, from an outside source and look after our soils ultimately the best we can. And being part of the floral kingdom, conservation comes into play a little bit as well. Absolutely. So I think it's a little, a little known fact about South African viticulture is that we're probably one of the most advanced viticultural regions in the world in terms of our biodiversity and our approach to respecting and protecting the natural environment. So a lot of wineries, including ourselves, will have certain delineated areas on the property which are dedicated to natural vegetation. So they're areas which will never be farmed, never be plowed, and will never allowed to. So you basically dedicate it to, as, a, as a conservancy, and that means that you'll never be able to get a license to ever plow that soil ever. And those areas are established with natural vegetation which in the cape is called feinbos or rhinosterfelt which translates into rhinoceros bush it's a type of a type of feinbos or plant kingdom which is unique to the cape and we have these little corridors all over the property which support natural fauna and natural flora which is important for balance at the end of the day farming 
you know, farming is not, yes, it's a natural process, but it's also an interfering process. Mm -hmm. The plants don't grow there on their own. They have to be brought there by man. And I think it's important to balance that with allowing some natural vegetation to, to thrive on for, your property. For a healthy ecosystem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. For balance, yeah. And then music is a key component at De Morganzahn. I found that something really unique about the farm is that Baroque music plays in the vineyards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What's the rationale or the reasoning behind that? So the property is owned by Wendy Applebaum. Wendy's married to a man called Hilton. And Hilton started, well, he's a, he's a classical music aficionado. He really loves classical music and to the extent that he started a classical music radio station in Johannesburg, which is the you know, the main business area of, of South Africa. Scientifically, what we can say is we had a professor working on a project uh, with some master students and she took our playlist and could isolate elements of soil, so isolated bacteria and fungi and grew them on petri dishes under controlled environments and then could have a control, in other words, with no sound and then had a, a test with the, our music, our Baroque and classical music. And the Petri dishes that were under the Baroque and Classical had much more, well, not aggressive, much more even and much more growth of bacteria and fungi than the control. And bacteria and fungi are two essential elements of soil. I remember when Wendy and Hilton were building the property or building the, building the Morgans on and were constructing a winery, they needed outside winemakers to help them make their wine and they approached me at my previous job and asked me if I had any space that I would contract out to them and I said sure and I needed to make some Shiraz and some Chardonnay for them and that was back in 2008 I think and the day that the first fruit arrived from De Morgan's on Hilton arrived with a a speaker and an iPod and said that I have to play classical and Baroque music to his fermenting <laughs> uh, fermenting grapes, which I thought at the time was crazy. But you know, since 2008, there's been music playing in all the Morganzons vineyards inside the tasting room um, in the winery, which was finished being constructed in 2009. What I do know is that it creates an incredible atmosphere on the Morganzons creates a very peaceful atmosphere. So I have no doubt that it affects the approach of the people that work for us. I mean, the same music that plays in the vineyards is playing in the winery. Um, you know, De Morgan has done almost incredibly well, almost unbelievably well in a relatively short period of time. So perhaps that has something to do with the music. So, yeah, the one thing we do do is we put it off at night because we believe the vines need a rest. And, uh, you know, vines rest at night. The little stomata that are in the leaves actually close at night and, uh, so that the plant can, you know, doesn't, because uh, it's not really respiring as much mm -hmm. as, it is, as it is during the day. And this allows the plant to recover. So perhaps the vibration might stimulate that too much and so rather tend to leave the music off at night. And what about type of music? I know classical music is played. Is there something about classical music that's more impactful or soothing, I guess, than, say, jazz, hip-hop? Well, classical and Baroque is the only genre that has a what they call a mathematical rhythm. So it's a very particular rhythm, and that, that particular music is what has shown to increase people's concentration levels, have a very positive effect on 
babies in in vitro and, or in utero mm-hmm. at least. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's that's the reason we've chosen the genre. Carl, you were born and bred in South Africa, but as I mentioned earlier, you did travel quite a bit around the world. So what made you ultimately come full circle to settle in back home? And what's been happening in the wine world lately in South Africa? I finished university when I was, or college, when I was 20, I would have been 22, 23 years old. And I was faced with two choices to either go abroad like a lot of other winemakers were and work vintages all around the world or to stay in South Africa. I started to, decided to stay in South Africa and work my first vintage because I felt it was important to get to, to build a bit of a foundation and a base at home. So I worked for a larger winery. And then after working in South Africa for about 18 months, I decided it was time to go to France. And I was intrigued by France for a number of reasons. And because it's a classic wine producing region, I've always felt that learning the classics is the best foundation to any discipline. And that was probably the reason I went to work in France and particularly in Bordeaux. And other reasons I wanted to learn to speak French and I had no experience in French and I went across and immersed myself in the culture and in the people and learned to speak French in six months. Wow, I didn't realize So I merged French. out the other end uh, relatively fluent in kitchen French. I could swear very well having worked in Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> First word you learn, always. Yes, right? <laughs> exactly. And then I traveled. I traveled pretty much the entire country uh, in 2002, and then went back in 2003, and went back again in 2007, and have maintained a close contact with, uh, you know, with the country. And now I found the, I found France fascinating because of the respect of areas for authenticity. And there was a real pride in amongst growers. And I returned back to South Africa at a time when there were a lot of young people coming into the industry. You know, I returned back in 2003 to a permanent job, but maintained the opportunity to go to France whilst, you know, whilst I was working at my permanent job on a number of different occasions. In the early 2000s, there was a lot of investment in, in, in new wineries and rejuvenating vineyards and planting new and only the best possible clones. It was a time, it was an exciting, it has been an exciting time to work in the South African wine industry. We've now seen, we're now in 2019, we're seeing winemakers that are discovering regions that do things in a particular way and, you know, grow grapes to a specific quality. And they are being more, they're more respectful of that. And the hand of the winemaker is recognized, but I think areas are starting to come to the fore. We're starting to talk about Chenin Blanc in Stellenbosch and Chenin Blanc in the Swartland and Shiraz in Stellenbosch and Shiraz in the Swartland and the differences that they offer. And I think whilst the category of South Africa still needs a lot of work in international markets to become well marketed, and I think the perception of South Africa needs a lot of work, and I still come up against a lot of resistance in the trade against the perception of African wine or wine from South Africa. And I personally, I think that will change. I mean, if you look at the journalists and what they say about what they are saying about South Africa is they find it one of the most exciting wine making regions in the world right now with really exciting things happening amongst amongst young people and great quality wines being being produced. So I think it's a matter of time until that translates to consumers. 
And it's also going to take time to dovetail with people that are traveling to South Africa and as tourists and really enjoying, you know, enjoying what the country has to offer. Can you tell us why the winery is named De Morganzon? Sure. Switching gears a bit. So De Morganzon is Dutch for the morning sun. So it's a, it's a property which is basically based on a hillside. That hillside is all south and southeast facing. And the sun rises in the east in South Africa. That hillside is the first piece of land to see the morning sun. And a lot, of na- a lot of farms in South Africa were named after inspirational elements, whether it be the mountains or whether it be the way the sun fell or the way people felt in a particular valley. It's just fascinating to me that the Morganzon, which morning sun is always more gentle, it's cooler, it has a, almost a caressing effect on, on, on you if you're walking in it as opposed to the afternoon sun, which can be really hot and, and, and bothersome. And I think that translates into the wines. Can you tell us a little bit about the wines? So we have a, a type of a three-tiered structure to, to our brand. And we have our reserve wines at the top of the tier. And then we produce a range of blended wines under the Maestro label. And then we produce a range of wines under, you know, varietal wines bottled under the DMZ range. So I think it's best probably to start with DMZ. So we do a number of single varieties there. We do Shiraz or Syrah at least. So it's a kind of cool climate, more you know European style of Shiraz produced under the DMZ Syrah. We do a large bottling of DMZ Chardonnay, which is done very well in the US. It's a beautiful Tiffany blue colored label and is Chardonnay grown on only in Stellenbosch, but grown on granite and grown on slopes that have a nice cooling influence from the ocean. And I think that that cool influence translates into a lovely freshness and citrus quality in the wine and a really nice, clean acidity. We also do a rosé under DMZ, and this is a a blended Rhone variety rosé, which is generally Grenache-based with Syrah, Mourvedre, sometimes a bit of Sanso, and then I sometimes add a little bit of Roussan and Viognier into the mix. Then moving into Maestro, we do two very interesting white uh, blends there. One white blend, which is a, a Rhone variety white blend, including a little bit of Chenin Blanc. So it would classify as a classic Cape white blend. And then the border, the border blend is the Maestro Red, which will involve all five border varieties and generally is Cabernet based. And then our reserve wines, we are doing a reserve Chenin and Chardonnay. And I think both of these wines are real international benchmarks for the style coming out of South Africa. I would classify them both as powerful expressive renditions of the variety but never losing sight of freshness and linearity so they are muscular wines wines grown on granite generally give a muscular structured feel but never to the point of being you know overly cloying or fatiguing in style so they always have a lovely freshness always have really nice lemony acidity on the finish and particularly the shannon i think has probably the strongest track record of exceptional journalist reviews and is seen as a real South African benchmark for the variety. And funnily enough, the Reserve Shannon is the wine that actually saw us uh, starting our export relationship into the US. With Cape Classics. Indeed. This episode of Behind the Bottle was produced in our offices in New York City and features music provided by De Morganson's Divine Music album, which they play in the vineyards. You can purchase any of the wines discussed today online at wine.com. For 10% off your order, enter Cape Classics at checkout.
For more information on Cape Classics wines, please visit capeclassics.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cape Classics Wines. Thank you for listening and please tune in next time. Until then, cheers!